If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd ask that you would turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 will be in the first part of that chapter. Um, Before we read together, let's pray. Holy God, word made flesh. Let us come to this, your written word, open to being surprised. To silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our detachment, confound our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears. Visit the corners of our hearts with this word. We know that you can. We pray that you will. And we, w- we wait with great anticipation. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2. If you would and you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay homage to him. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left by, a different, by, a diff, by their own country by a different road. This is the word of God for the people of God, we say. Thanks. Amen. All four of our scripture passages this morning we've read um, throughout the service from the Psalm 72 that we read at the beginning to this gospel text that we've just read. I think it, they all have a, a similar message for us. They have a message for us when they're read together as they have been. And that message is, seek and you will shine. Seek and you will shine. And if you haven't picked up on this yet this morning, we're celebrating uh, the Christian holiday that's called Epiphany. Epiphany um, falls each year, 12, actually 13, the 13th day after Christmas. So there's 12 days that follow Christmas, or 12 days of Christmas, and then Epiphany happens. And so we are celebrating Epiphany this morning, though Epiphany technically happened on Thursday, this past Thursday. And so we read these texts, this text of, this, of the wise men, the magi, coming and visiting Jesus on Epiphany. Epiphany is all about seeking and shining. Seeking and shining. It's about asking good questions that happen when we are in a posture of seeking. Good questions like, what child is this? 
And another good question, what does this child expect of me? A true attitude and posture of seeking ask good questions. Epiphany means manifestation or appearance. And it's come to know, in English, often we refer to it something similar to revelation that we have, or we experience a revelation. We experience an epiphany, an emotional experience often is how it feels, a sudden moment of understanding or growth or knowledge. Epiphany really means manifestation of God, but we've come to use that word to mean realization. These two things are deeply tied to one another, though. God's appearance, God's manifestation, usually results in experience of realization that we've come to use that word epiphany for. It's fitting that epiphany is not just one holy day this past Thursday, but it's actually a whole season. Um, We call it the season after epiphany in the Christian calendar. Epiphany lasts all the way up until Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of the Lent season that leads us to Good Friday. Now, I think that it's important and good that we repeat this season year in and year out, not just because there might be one or two of us in our congregation who have yet to experience an epiphany, a realization of God and a manifestation of Christ in their life, but because each and every one of us are called to be seekers. Each and every one of us, no matter how far along we are in this journey with Jesus, are called to be seekers Seeking is not just something that new believers and those that are looking for God do. It's our very purpose for existence as a church. Seeking and shining is what we do as God's people. It's our purpose for existing as a church. Seek and you will shine. The wise men or magi, as I said earlier, it's it's a better translation of the word magi. They're some of the most well-known characters in the, in the story of Jesus, and yet there's only 12 verses about them. We don't know a whole lot about them. Matthew may not know a whole lot about them. That, maybe th- that might be why he doesn't tell us more. Maybe he just withholds it. The word magi is where the, our word in the English magic comes from, magi. Though we shouldn't understand these men or these, these people as, as necessarily magicians, they were, um, they were more like astrologers, as we find out in our text as they looked to the stars. It was common to refer to astrologers in this way as magi. They were people, magi, the Jews would have called them, who looked to the stars for guidance. They looked and read the stars to understand these big social or political moments in history. Magi read the stars to understand what they thought was going to happen. They were certainly knowledgeable, wise, we might call them, especially in regards to reading those stars, astronomy. They're sometimes referred to in our tradition as kings. We might sing that song, We Three Kings, and we refer to these people Um, But really, this comes out of the Messianic expectation that kings would come and worship the Messiah. And so these magi are kind of equated as kings. They probably weren't exactly kings. The psalm that Pastor Mary Elizabeth read earlier calls for kings to come and worship the king of Israel. Um, We heard that in Isaiah's text as well. Kings will come to you bringing gifts of gold and frankincense. The magi were not really kings, though. Uh, Most scholars believe that this refers to astrologers. That's what we've come to understand. Um, And what's significant about this is that in this cultural time, this time of Jesus, most astrologers, most magi, people who read the stars, came from a place, maybe you've heard of this place, called Babylon. Um, It's also referred to as Persia during this time. Babylon, Persia. 
Now, it's possible because in that same area, there was um, not only just the, the idea of reading stars, there was actually a whole religion that was based around this. It was called Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism, um, priests in that religion were often referred to as magi, which is why some scholars believe they might have been practicers of that religion. And so these magi would read the stars for socio-political um, um, events like the rise of, of kings, like the birth of kings. What do you know? They'd read these signs to tell, to let their own kings know, yes, we should go to war. Or no, we should not right now. It took someone wise to be able to read those signs in the culture. And so they were called magi. And it was common for them to visit those kings whenever they were born or whenever those kings came to power to pay them homage, as the text tells us. Now, it's important to know out of all of this, again, that we're kind of suspecting things based on the cultural timeline of when Jesus was born. But it is for sure to know that these were not Israelites. These were not people who were practicing Jewish, the Jewish religion. They were coming from a foreign place. So what Matthew wants us to do is to, to take a look at these characters, these magi, these wise men. He wants us to take a look at their character, not just who they are and what they do and what they fulfill from the Old Testament, but the way they act, what they are coming to do in Israel. And I think what Matthew really wants us to do is to compare that or contrast that rather with the Jews that we hear about in this text, the Jewish rulers that we hear about in this text, Herod. Herod the Great is who he, what he was called. I have a feeling that he gave himself that name, Herod the Great. Herod the Great is king in Judea during the time of Jesus. Now, we don't want to get too confused with this. This is not the same Herod that we hear about later on in the story of Jesus, Herod Antipas, the one who's responsible for John the Baptist's death. This is, that's Herod's, uh, Herod the Great's son. And so Herod the Great is the one who is in the time of Jesus' birth. He's king in Jerusalem, but now we have to keep in mind also that the king in Jerusalem is kind of not really a king. He's more of a puppet king. We might call, it, call him a vassal king because Rome is actually in charge. The empire of Rome, Caesar, is actually the one in charge. And so King Herod is, is really only, only a, an arm for the empire. He only rules at behest of the empire. His power is very limited because of that. And so Herod not only is worried about his own power being threatened in our text, he's also worried about Rome, the people that are in charge of him. What, what Rome will think if they catch wind of a supposed king coming and being born that's not Herod and not Herod's children. Rome never takes kindly to someone who would claim to have more power than Caesar. Matthew tells us that Herod the Great, who was known for being power hungry himself, he didn't take kindly to threats to his power. And not only Herod, Matthew tells us that all of Jerusalem was fearful. Fearful, frightened at the word, at the, at the possibility that a Messiah was coming. <clears throat> Pastor Kevin told us uh, the story, read us the story a few weeks ago and preached on the text of what happens next. What Herod does whenever he s sits in his fear for a little too long. It, it's called the massacre of the innocents. He calls for the, the murder of innocent children two years and younger in Bethlehem. This establishes Jesus, who is luckily, um, through divine providence, able to escape that, that death. This establishes him as the new Moses. Herod's reaction and posture to the news of a Messiah comes out of fear. 
The way that he acts and reacts comes out of fear. And it's often that when someone in power who has any amount of power goes and sits and stews in fear, that innocent people suffer as a result. When someone in power is fearful, power becomes a tool to instill fear. Matthew wants us to contrast that character, that person, King um, King Herod, as well as all of the power in Jerusalem, the city of David, with these foreigners, these magi, these Gentiles. This is the story of Epiphany. This is the story of Epiphany because there are some surprises in this story. Of course, we've most of us have read this story. Again, the Magi are, are very known uh, characters in the Gospel of Jesus. And so we come to know this story really well. But there's surprises in this text that can be helpful for us to revisit. The first surprise in our text is simply that outsiders, and not only outsiders, but likely practitioners of another belief system or another religion, they are the first to hear and come and worship the Jewish Messiah in Matthew's gospel. That is who the Magi are. We have established they are foreigners. They are from a different place. They come and they worship the Jewish Messiah. These astrological wise people were not worshiping in the temple of Yahweh. They weren't practicing Yom Kippur. They weren't practicing some other Jewish festival when they begin to seek after Jesus. They are practicing what they know, reading stars. They are not seeking the Jewish God necessarily. They are simply reading the stars they know. One scholar states, the Magi are certainly Gentiles. They're foreigners. They come from outside of Israel, and they clearly do not know the scriptures because they have to ask where the king is. They don't know the scriptures that the king was to be born in Bethlehem, and so they don't know the scriptures But they do know how to read stars. They don't know how to read scripture, but they do know how to read stars. And that is where God reaches out to them. That is surprising. (laughs) That is a surprising story. God reaches out to them and leads them through what they do know to him. God uses the Magi's knowledge of reading the stars to speak to them, to show them a sign, to lead them to the Christ Matthew includes this story of the Magi because he knows that a central message of the gospel of Jesus is that the mystery of salvation is not only for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles, those who are not worshiping the way the Jews worship. Paul tells us in the text that we read, that, that, that Misty read for us, that, that the mystery of Christ, that, that Paul's whole purpose is to, to reveal the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, to be used by God to reveal the mystery of Christ. He uses that word mystery throughout that text. And he says, For surely you have already heard of the, com- of the commission of God's grace that was given to me for you, Ephesians, Gentiles. In former generations, this mystery, this revelation, this epiphany was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to the apostles. That is the Gentiles. Foreigners, outsiders have been made fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. This is the good news, the surprising good news of Jesus. Those who were once on the outside have been sought after by God. The mystery of God, according to Paul, is that outsiders now have full access and fellowship as God's holy people. What surprising good news Matthew tells us this story of Magi so that we know that from the beginning, not later on when Jesus is in ministry, but as a child, the whole purpose of Jesus coming is to reveal the mystery of God, that salvation is for all. All it takes 
is a humble attitude, as we will see. They, the second surprise is, is for the Magi themselves. They go to Herod the king. They go to Jerusalem. They see the star at its rising and they head in that direction. And they don't go directly to Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem. They assume that it would be in Jerusalem, the seat of power in Jerusalem, that this king would, in, in Judea, that this king would be born. They go to Jerusalem where the temple is, the temple of God. Where the seat of power is. They go to Jerusalem, but they don't pay anyone homage there. They don't bow down and worship the king that they come in front of. They say, where's the king that has been born? They go to Jerusalem where the temple is, but they don't worship in the temple. They go to Jerusalem and they go on later to disobey Herod. They don't go there to pay anyone homage. They don't go there to worship anyone. They go there to be redirected somewhere else. Surprise. God is not there. Messiah is not in Jerusalem. Surprise, this isn't the reality of who Christ is. Herod, the Magi, when they arrived to Jerusalem, they were assuming that that must be where he is. But they are redirected. They are redirected to Bethlehem to find a humble child sitting in Mary's lap. And and what Matthew tells us is that upon seeing the child, they kneel down and pay him homage. I think it's really interesting that most of our English translations translate it this way. They kneel down and pay him homage. It's really interesting because, um, because in reality, that, that phrase, that's not really strong enough. When you hear that, they, they knelt down and paid him homage. We, we have these images of them simply coming and bowing, almost like you would bow to a king or anyone other that's great. But the Greek translation, the, Greek, the, the original Greek is stronger than that. That phrase, knelt down, actually means to fall. It's what, what they would say if you fell off the stage right here. They fall down. And then that phrase, to pay him homage, is literally the word worship. Uh, later on in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew will describe the, the disciples encountering the risen Christ. And it will say the same thing about them, except most of our English translations will translate it, they worshiped him. That's what the text tells us. That's what the Greek original Greek says is that they fall down. And they worship strong language, not just kneeling and paying some respect to a, to a king. They fall down in worship. That is a lot stronger and, and more powerful image of what the, the magi, these wise men do. We read a few verses from Isaiah uh, chapter 60 earlier. If we had kept reading through that whole chapter, we would have heard these words that were written to, to those Israelites that were coming out of Babylonian exile. The descendants of those who oppressed you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet, Isaiah tells them. I mentioned earlier that the Magi likely came from Babylon, Persia. That's where most astronomy happened at, in Babylon. Babylon, the place where Jesus' descendants were carried off into exile and oppressed by the mighty empire. Here, Matthew tells us that descendants of that empire come falling down and worshiping the Messiah. What a surprising God. The enemies of God are coming and worshiping God. The mystery of God is revealed. Those Gentile magi have responded to God more faithfully than the Jewish king. More faithfully than than the Jewish priests and leaders. I wonder if sometimes we think that that must be it. That yes, God surprised us on Epiphany. God surprised us in Christmas. God surprised us on Easter. But that's just about it. 
Yes, God came in a surprising way, born of a virgin, Mary. How is that possible? He's placed in a humble, surprising bed, a crib, a, a, a feeding trough for animals. Sure, God in Christ came, surprising humanity and God's people in his message and method and the way that he taught. But that's really it. Jesus came as a baby, lived and ministered in a surprising way, died and saved the ultimate surprise for last on Easter. But that's it. Now it's just sort of back to normal for all of us. Sure, we come to church sometimes. We have cool experiences at the altar when we first get saved. But that's about it. After that, it's back to normal. Not much has changed. We just have a new social activity we call church. We just have some obligations at church every so often. We just have to sit back and wait for God to return to surprise us again. I wonder, can God do something new? Will God do something new? Or is this whole church thing that we do each week, is, is this just us waiting around for God to do something new later on in the future some other time? As long as we get saved and baptized and come to church once or twice or most Sundays of the year, we're all good. We just got to sit around and wait. Then God will finally do something new again. Or does God want to do something new right now? Does God want to do something new in our lives day in and day out? It sure would seem to me that if there is anything that our scripture wants us to know about God, it's that God is a surprising God. Not just God surprises every so often, but God is a God of surprises. It sure would seem to me that that's what the Bible would want us to know about this God. And not just every few thousand years when a new nation is formed or when a Messiah comes, but God is a God who does something new. God wants us to seek after that newness. God wants us to seek after surprise and epiphany. God wants us to see his work in the world as surprise. And that surely requires us to seek. It surely requires us to take a posture similar to that of the Magi. The Magi tell Herod their intention from the beginning. They intended to worship the king, as the Greek tells us. They intend to fall down and worship. They've taken that posture from the beginning. They haven't read the scriptures, but they've read the stars. They intend to worship the one that this star proclaims. They know nothing of the Jewish Messiah But they know the stars and the stars have proclaimed something. That is the newness of God. We've often reserved our understanding of what it means to seek God to those that are on the outside and are are making their way into the church. That you're a seeker if you haven't found God yet. But once you have found God, you are no longer a seeker. Perhaps we would be more um, open to how God acts in the world. God's surprising ways, if we understood ourselves as as our purpose as God's people to be seekers, always seeking God. God is the God of the outsider and goes for all the people that goes for all the people of God, not only the old covenant, but for us as well. As Jesus's famous sermon on the mount will make clear that it is those that are suffering, those that are on the outside that God goes to, that God is found in. So where do we seek God? How do we seek God? By going to those that are on the outside. By seeking those who have been marginalized. That is where God is found. Perhaps we, like the Magi, will be surprised to find where, God, where Christ is. Not in the palace. Not in Jerusalem, the mighty city of David. But in Bethlehem. A humble home in Bethlehem. Not among the rulers with those in privilege and power. 
but to the vulnerable, to the humble. Perhaps this new year will be a time for us to seek God anew. Expecting to find God in surprising places, maybe we can come to the new year with a new understanding of the purpose of our faith. Not simply being about waiting around for Jesus to do something new one day, but seeking God in the world as we go out into the world. Seeking God to work new things, new ways. The text from Isaiah, when we read it alongside the story of the Magi, it proclaims to us, That when we live as seeking God, as seekers of God, we will shine. Matthew tells us, Matthew, Jesus in Matthew tells us later on, seek and you will find. And Isaiah tells us that when the people find, they will shine. Seeking requires a certain kind of posture. Seeking requires humility and vulnerability. Seeking requires us to admit that maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe we still have some growing to do. That we might need to prioritize our discipleship, our growth in grace. That we might need to change our way of thinking about our faith. Not simply us waiting around for Jesus to return, but practicing seeking every day. Arise, shine, Isaiah tells us, for your light has come. Your light has come, church. Christ, the light of the world. And now in our seeking that light, we will shine. As a people who live as seekers of God, we will shine. Seek and you will shine. Lift up your eyes, look around, Isaiah tells us. Then you will see and you will shine. Um, As the praise team comes, we're going to sing one final song. Um, I think what all of this is about and really what I want to get at more than anything is that, that to be a seeker is about our posture. It's about the way that we posture ourselves before we find. That's the Magi's message to us. Before they find the Messiah, they are seeking and they are posturing themselves in worship. And so it's all about the way that we posture ourselves. This place and and these people, it's not simply a hobby or a pastime for us. It means that by, 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 by coming here, by participating in this life here at this church, we are constantly seeking after God. And we have to posture ourselves in that way. This final song calls us to that posture. That same posture that the Gentile Magi took, a posture of humility and and, and vulnerability even. May this song that we sing be true of our life together as Manchester Church of the Nazarene, not just in the season of Epiphany, but each and every day. Um, These altars are open and they're a great place for us to posture ourselves, as I've been describing. These altars are open and coming and a place for us to come and fall down. Let's come. Let's fall down in worship of this. I mean, I want to offer you a benediction. Um, I'm going to invite you to sit down. Um, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just want to read these words to you. They're written by Ian Simpkins, and they're very powerful. Today, we celebrate the visit of some of the most unlikely characters to be included into the story of God. These magi worshipped and practiced outside of the people of God, and yet they came seeking. The political elite was threatened while the religious elite were complacent and showed no interest in seeking. But the magi, the outsiders, the surprising characters were attentive seekers. They brought riches for the king, incense for a priest, and embalming oil for someone who was born to die. In this story, we discover that outsiders aren't really outsiders at all. They are invited into the very center of the story. 
if today you find it unlikely that God would include you, that God would include you into this story, this day, Epiphany unequivocally tells us that God includes you. Today, we remember God's love for and pursuit of the outsiders. Today, we have an option. We have an option. Will we respond to this scandal with the fear of Herod, the apathy of the religious elite, or will we respond with awe and wonder, the humility and vulnerability of the Magi? May we not respond with dread or complacency. May the false kings in our hearts be deposed. May God's light lead us away from the false kings of the world to worship the one true king, the king of humble enemy love and self-emptying sacrifice, reaching out to the outsider. And may we, like the church, like that star on that day, be a light to those who search as well, guiding them to Christ. May we together be seekers. May we be radiant. May we seek and shine. Let's go in peace into this new year to be God's church in the world. Go in peace.